0: Welcome back, everyone. Today on the Joseph Carlson Show, Apple hit a market cap of $3 trillion. A market cap of $3 trillion is pretty good, but it's not good enough according to Dan Ives. He's an analyst for Apple and other tech companies. He says that Apple will be at $4 trillion a market cap in 2024. Is he correct? We're going to go through this interview and I'll give you my full analysis on his arguments for Apple hitting a $4 trillion market cap. Now we also have some news about Microsoft that isn't quite as good. Microsoft says that it could abandon the Activision deal if the judge ends up delaying it. Microsoft may end up losing this case. If they lose the case, they're going to have to pay Activision Blizzard. We'll be looking at the financials of Microsoft. How does that $3 billion payment impact their cash flows? And then of course we have the big news of this year. We're having a good month. We're having a good year. We've had a monster market rally in 2023 that's quote defied all expectations. Well, it shouldn't be defying our expectations. In this video, I'm going to explain why I believe there's a high likelihood the market will do well for the next couple of years. There's a lot of good evidence to show that this stock market can continue. And of course, it's Friday, so we have the financial advice from TikTok. In this one, they're talking about how much money you need to to feel like you can retire and that you've made it. So we're gonna be going into TikTok's retirement advice. Now, the first thing that I wanna mention is if you're one of the new members to this channel, we do things a little differently here. And we have had a lot of new members recently. In fact, when I look at the analytics, just over the past 28 days, so the past one month, we've had something like 6,500 new people join. So welcome all of you. I'm glad that you've decided to join the channel. A couple things that I think are worth mentioning. First of all, this is not a channel where we just talk about stocks and the news. We do something different here where we actually show what we're doing with our money. I know that that's a somewhat unique concept. It's not something a lot of people end up doing, but I've shown what I've been doing with my finances, with my investments for four years now publicly every single week. You can follow along like following a reality show. You can see exactly what I'm doing every trade, buy and sell with transparency. The portfolio so far has gone up $92,000 over those past four years, giving a 68% return, beating out the S&P 500 by a little bit, but I can't celebrate too early this year still in progress, but this is the portfolio. It's a collection of high-quality businesses that I call compounders. These companies are exceptional. They're the top of their class in their industry, and I consider the companies in this portfolio to be not just good companies, but I think they're the top 1% of the top 1%. These companies are orders of magnitude better than the average company. They have assets, they have monopolistic positions, they have cash flow profiles, they have moats that are incredibly difficult for other companies to compete with. A lot of these companies. I consider to be outright monopolies. So what I've been doing over the past couple of years is building concentrated positions into these companies, ones that I think will continue to compound for a long period of time, have incredibly long runways, and I continue to just buy more and more of mostly the same exact companies, over and over again. The goal of all of this is, of course, to make money. Money through capital appreciation, money through dividends. The dividends are cash paid into the account, which are then reinvested back into the portfolio in the companies that I think will give me the highest return at the given time. So I'm constantly in a snowball effect reinvesting all the dividends paid into the individual stocks that I think present the best opportunity. To look at which stocks present the best opportunity, I use something called the Dip Finder. It's one of the tools that shows me how all the companies in my portfolio are trading over different timelines. So I can look at the three month, the six month and so on. And we try to have a lot of fun while doing this as well. But I think the biggest thing I'd like to point out here, the biggest point of emphasis is by far the overall returns and transparency that I'm doing here. Still to this date, the majority of content creators do not show their total performance since the beginning of their portfolio. They show different snaps. They might show different stocks here and there. They might show their current holdings and hide all the ones that they've previously sold out of, but they don't show their total returns. This is my total returns since starting the portfolio, and I will continue to show it every single week. So having established that, let's go ahead and jump into some news here. Now the big headline news of the day is that Apple hit a trillion dollar market cap, a trillion dollars. Oh, wait, that was like a couple years ago. They hit a trillion dollars. No, they hit a $2 trillion market cap. They doubled from a trillion. Oh, wait, that was, was that a year ago, two years ago that they hit a, a $2 trillion market cap? Oh, they hit $3 trillion. We're at the third trillion dollar market cap for Apple. Seems like I'm having deja vu here. I remember the first time that Apple hit the $1 trillion market cap. I owned the company when it hit that market cap. That was after 2017. I can't remember precisely when, but I remember owning this stock when they hit that trillion dollar market cap. Then they hit the two trillion. And my thought was, wow, that was a lot easier than them hitting the first trillion. Apple really cranked out the profit. They increased the cash flows, hitting that second trillion. And now we're at the third trillion dollar market cap. Now, I've been an Apple fanboy I've been a fan of both the products of this company, the services, and the stock. I've been an enormous fan of Apple stock for a long period of time. This has been one of my earliest positions. I've continually added to it. I've not sold any of this stock, and I'm very glad that I haven't because this has been a wonderful stock to own. I'm currently up in total value over 100%. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So I have a $55,000 holding. Now I'm in the green by around $27,000. But in actuality, since the beginning, I would be up over 200% on this stock had I not continually raised my cost basis by continually buying more of it. So I've only added to this company over and over again. But Apple's one of these companies That no matter how big the company grows, no matter how high the valuation is, it always seems to outperform investors' expectations. And this is something that I think is notable. I think this is a shortcoming of investors still to this day. When Apple hit a trillion dollar market cap, a lot of people thought that it's already the biggest company in the world. There's no way it's going to outperform. It has so many analysts covering the company. It has so many people using the products. How is there any alpha to be had in a company so widely known by everyone? But this company that was already the biggest in the world outperformed the S&P 500 by five times over the past five years. It 5x the performance of SPY. It 3x the performance of the QQQ. So even comparing it to the NASDAQ, it has completely destroyed the NASDAQ over the past five years. It's outperformed almost every super investor and hedge fund in existence over the past five years. And it's done so while being the biggest company in the world almost the entire time. Now, trying to explain this can be difficult. Why is Apple continually outperforming expectations? Why are investors not pricing this company appropriately? It generates more cash flows than expected. It generates more profits, higher amounts of revenue, higher returns than expected, almost every single year. So I wanna look at one analysis explanation of why this stock is going from a $3 trillion market cap to a $4 trillion next year. Dan Ives believes Apple will be a $4 trillion company next year, he's still bullish on it, he still thinks it's underpriced, and he has this explanation of what investors are missing. So we're gonna be looking at this and I'll explain whether or not Dan Ives is correct. You think this time it happens, Dan? And do you think that the underlying fundamentals
1: support that valuation more at this time than they did in, in January of 2022? Yeah, I think it's a historic day, not just for Cupertino, but for tech. And I, I think when you look at the story here, specifically on the services side, that's the key part of the sum of the parts. I think a lot of the bears miss. And you know, I don't think it ends here. We believe this is the $4 trillion mark cap by 2025. And at the end of the day, Apple continues to play chess while others are playing checkers.
0: Okay, so he has the basis of his argument there. The big thing that he highlighted that he says investors miss is the services part of it. Apple's playing chess while others are playing checkers. If we bring up Apple here on Qualtrim, which is a website available to Patreon members, we can take a look at what Dan Ives is talking about with Apple. We have all the metrics and valuation, and this is what most investors focus on. They look at the valuation and they say that Apple's trading at a 25 PE, so it's expensive or cheap based on that. They look at the free cash flow yield, 3% yield, it's expensive or cheap based on that. But we know that companies... Are much more complex than just a yield or a PE ratio. Determining the future cash flow of the company is incredibly important in forming a full valuation. And when we look at what Dan Ives is talking about, the sum of the parts, we can bring that up on the revenue chart. We have the revenue right here from Apple. This is quarter by quarter. We see it all the way going back from 1985 when it was just a a device maker making iPods. I remember buying one of the first iPods and then the iPod shuffle. I got one of the beefy iPods that had the spinner wheel and had like 40 gigs of of memory. I thought it was amazing. Then, of course, they came out with the phone, a game changer, the stock price dropped, but the revenue continued to grow. Over the past couple of decades, Apple's revenue has been explosive, has continued to grow. And this is, again, what most investors are focused on. They look at overall revenue growth rates. Apple's revenue has grown at 10% over the past 10 years. Well, I know a lot of companies growing their revenue faster than 10%. That doesn't sound that good. But these numbers, again, don't share the full story. There's a little bit deeper context we can look at. If we go to the product segment here, we get to the sum of the parts. Let's cross out some of the older product divisions and make this a little bit cleaner. Here we have the sum of the parts of Apple's revenue. So these are all the exact same total revenue, but now we see them broken up by different categories. In this, we can take a look at what Dan Ives is talking about. He says that investors are missing the services. Apple is not a hardware company anymore. They are a device install company, so they do have a large part of their revenue that's hardware, but the services is by far the most important part of their story and has been the most important part of their story for a long period of time. If we cross out the services, we see the growth overall of the revenue. This is the slower growing part of the revenue. They just need to maintain their install base. They don't really need to grow this all that much. So it's growing with inflation and small price increases, But this isn't a booming part of Apple's business. When we look at the services and we cross out everything else, we see the explosive growth of services doubling since 2018. And while this part of the business is growing, the margins are much higher. While Apple's total margins are around 40%, the services are easily 60% plus. So much higher margin portion of the business is growing at a faster rate. This is also lifting the entire company. And this is no small business. Apple services did $21 billion last quarter. That is astronomical. So right off the bat, just the first 10 seconds of what Dan Ives has to say, I think he nailed it. I think so far his analysis of Apple is spot on, but he has more to say about the company.
1: The, what what you call it something, the that the Bears have complained that there's I guess there's not something that it's all been incremental. There hasn't been any quantum leap in, in Apple's product mix and that and but that hasn't stopped it. You can see it right there. I mean that obviously has a lot to do with momentum and the narrow advance that, that we've seen in the Nasdaq, obviously, but Apple has Hit on a lot of cylinders just you know it didn't go from an eight cylinder to a 12 cylinder it's just got a really good eight cylinders. Joe I think what, what investors are missing in my opinion the ones that have bet against Apple is it's a golden install base we're talking about 1.2 billion iPhones 2 billion iOS devices and the Hall of tactician cook has led Apple through all the challenges from a supply chain to other issues and you have 25% of the install base that has not upgraded their iPhone four plus years. And that's why this is just starting on a sum of the parts to what I believe is really just almost the middle innings.
0: He goes on saying that another thing that investors are missing is the golden install base. I believe this is another correct take from Dan Ives. I think he has this spot on. Apple has the golden install base. The install base is the number of devices that consumers have. They have over a billion devices out there actively being used by consumers. So we have a ton of people, let's say one billion using devices. It might not be that much, it might be a little bit more. It's, It's a little bit difficult because a lot of Apple users have more than one device. But either way, we have this massive current install base. All the people that use Apple devices, all the install base, they're in part of this ecosystem. There's a lot of coverage about the ecosystem. There's tech review channels that go into how Apple makes it very difficult to leave their install base, to leave their ecosystem once you've become part of it. You're in it. You've used iMessage. You've signed up for the Apple Card. You have the Apple Savings Account. You have the Apple Notes app. You have all your photos uploaded to Apple Photos. You have so many different things that Apple has done to keep you in part of their ecosystem that it's nearly impossible to leave this install base and go to a competitor like Android. It becomes burdensome, onerous, something that you don't want to do. So the install base is a golden install base of high-income consumers, a lot of discretionary money to spend on services. And that's what Apple is a master at, taking this golden install base and monetizing them through the sales of all of these services. With Apple... Everything is the ecosystem. That's the moat, that's the value proposition, that's the intrinsic value driver, that's the story of Apple, that is the investment thesis. Wrapped up in one word, it's ecosystem. If the ecosystem is non-existent for Apple, if it gets torn apart or destroyed, I would sell my full position in Apple. If the ecosystem remains intact, if it grows stronger, I maintain my position in Apple. It's all reliant on the ecosystem. So I think this is another correct take from Dan Ives. I think he's spot on here. As long as Apple can maintain their masterfully designed ecosystem, they'll find ways to monetize it. They'll find ways to grow... Their free cash flow. So, overall, I agree with Dan Ives on his analysis here. I think that this has been an amazing buy in plain sight. The ecosystem has been underrated by investors, continually discounted the strength of it over the past five years. Investors that recognized the power of the ecosystem early on reaped the rewards. And one of those investors, a pretty good one, I think his name was Warren Buffett. He recognized that ecosystem a long time period ago. He bought $30 billion of the company. And I think his equity stake now is somewhere around $170 billion. He's beat out everyone else. Buffett remains the goat. Now, of course, we can't forget about Microsoft. This is another pretty good company that's on a good streak this year. I have a holding in this company, $55,000, similar to Apple, but not quite as much gains. This one's up $12,000. Microsoft has a couple bad pieces of news coming out just in the past day or two. The news is that Microsoft says it could abandon the Activision Blizzard deal if the judge delays it. They say the first day of the week-long hearing that could determine the outcome of Microsoft's seventy billion dollar acquisition of the video game giant Activision Blizzard opened Thursday with a promise from Microsoft. If a federal judge grants an injunction that would delay the deal's closing, Microsoft could abandon the deal altogether. So they wanted to let the judge know that that if you even delay this deal, then we're probably gonna we're, we're probably gonna scrap it at that point. Microsoft's lawyer said, "quote This is going to decide whether or not the deal goes forward." She said that if this case were to be delayed or lost here, it would be quote a three-year administrative nightmare." So even though Microsoft could perpetually fund a lawsuit forever. They really could afford to hire the best lawyers forever. That wouldn't be the best thing for the shareholders. This company wants the cash to go to shareholders, so they don't want to have an ongoing, years-long nightmare of a court case here. Microsoft is always having to weigh what is best for shareholders to continue fighting this or to let it go. Now, I personally think this is a bit of a shame. I realize that Microsoft is a very large corporation, so people naturally have a bias against the company. They see Big Bad Microsoft, They see that they want to buy another big company, and they think that that should be blocked. A a big company shouldn't buy another big company. But Microsoft is not the biggest player in gaming and in console gaming. In fact, Sony is much bigger than Microsoft. In terms of consoles, Sony has around double the market share of Microsoft. Sony is the monopoly when it comes to console gaming. So Sony's arguing that Microsoft is the monopoly, while Ironically, Sony's the monopoly. Sony's arguing that Microsoft will be exclusive, while ironically, Sony has more exclusive titles than Microsoft. Sony's arguing that Microsoft will be anti-competitive, while ironically, Sony is far more anti-competitive when it comes to gaming. One example of that is Microsoft wants to put the Activision Blizzard games on the Nintendo Switch. Sony does not want that because it would cause greater competition. So in this case, every bit of data points to Microsoft being able to buy Activision Blizzard. It doesn't restrict competition, it increases competition. Microsoft has gone so far to even guarantee 10 years of not making any of their titles exclusive. And that still has not been enough to push this through. So I think it will be a shame if this deal doesn't go through. Now... There is an outcome that's also not good if the deal doesn't go through with Microsoft. Not only did they have to pay all these lawyer fees and they have to pay for all the expense of trying to do this deal, but there is a breakup fee. Microsoft agreed to pay Activision Blizzard $3 billion if the deal doesn't go through. If we look at how this impacts their free cash flows, we can take a look here. This was the free cash flow in 2022. It was $65 billion. So paying Activision Blizzard billion would bring Microsoft's revenue, would bring Microsoft's free cash flow down to this red line. It'd be right around there. That is a decent chunk of cash, even for a company as big as Microsoft. So they have a a pretty hefty fee to pay here. Will this overall impact the long-term story of Microsoft? Does it turn the company from a buy to a sell, Not at all. It's not going to affect the long term. I think over the long term story this is like a speeding ticket, but $3 billion is a pretty pricey speeding ticket even for a company like Microsoft. For those of you who are in the arbitrage play and currently own Activision Blizzard, That's like a consolation prize. If you don't get Microsoft buying the company here, at least you get infused with a lot of cash. So they'll have a a big boost to their balance sheet, which will make the company worth a little bit more. So you have currently around a $65 billion market cap Tack on another $3 billion to that. That'll help out if this merger doesn't happen. But when it comes right down to it, this is the reason that I didn't end up doing that merger arbitrage play. I heavily considered it. I thought that Microsoft has the better case by far. I think they had the better court arguments. I think the data is on their side. But when it comes down to it, a judge is one person making a judgment call. And they can decide whatever they want and they can rationalize and justify it based on any various data they wanna nitpick. So a judge really is hard to determine, and because of the unpredictability of an arbitrage play like this, I decided to pass it this time. Now the other piece of news that I do think is noteworthy and something that should be taken into account for investors, is the market rally this year. It has been exceptional. Across the board, the indices have gone higher. The Wall Street Journal says that the 2023 rally has defied all expectations. If we look at the actual performance here, the S&P 500 is up around 15%. The Dow Jones is up around 4%. So across the board, a very good rally. And this is especially incredible because there's a lot of people that were sowing fair, that were spreading spreading concern about different issues left and right. It was almost difficult to find people that were level-headed, that had a steady tone, and said to stay fully invested in the market and not concern yourself with all these various things going on. For example, one of the big things that happened earlier this year was the banking crisis. The regional banks going bankrupt, remember that? Remember how the market was supposed to crash after that? What happened with the banking crisis? It seems to have just come and gone. We had the US default, Remember that, how the US wasn't gonna up the debt limit, how there is an argument in Congress? Do you know how many videos I made about the US default? Exactly zero. That interested me to no amount. The reason why is because that always ends up the exact same. Politicians both argue to get stuff that they want packed into the bill and the US continues to go forward and it doesn't affect the stock market. I've been around long enough to see that story play out over and over again. And the same thing with the banking crisis. This is something that I was not concerned about. I stayed fully invested during this time period. The U.S. moves on from crises like this over and over again. Even when they do have a material impact, like COVID or even the Great Recession, eventually the market recovers. That has been the story since the beginning. Now there's a lot of people that unfortunately bought into all the fear and doom spread around all of these news stories and there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines right now the wall street journal notes that ultimately those who stayed out of the market this year in fear of another sell-off missed out on a robust gain can you imagine missing out on this performance this year if i had missed out on this year I would have missed out on $68,000 in gains so far, 17% returns, an enormous run for this portfolio. This is the reason it is critical to not try to time the market, to stay invested all the time. All of these people in the industry are always trying to guess what the next blow up is going to be. If this year has shown anything, It is that it's difficult to predict which headline-grabbing event will wind up having a lasting impact on the market returns. That is exactly correct. This has been said before, but I'll say it again. You could have the entire release of the Wall Street Journal headlines from here until the end of 2023, and even knowing exactly what headline news is going to happen for the next six months you would not be able to guess where the market's going to end. They do not correlate with each other. Sometimes they end up being inversely correlated. So is this market rally defying all expectations? I think it's an incredible rally, but it hasn't defied all expectations. And I do believe there's reason to believe that the market rally will continue. We have news of the greatest wealth transfer in history, We have news that baby boomer generation has an enormous amount of stored wealth, more than they're going to be able to use within their lifetime. There's going to be a large windfall of inheritance specifically with millennials. Year after year for the next 30 years, millennials will inherit more and more money this is going to be a massive windfall of spending and something that should continue to propel the markets. So in my opinion, I think investors would still be better served today focusing on high quality companies that can persevere during different environments than trying to predict exactly when doom and gloom will strike and how bad it will be. Now, of course, it's Friday. So we look to TikTok for our financial advice. Here's two guys. These are two young looking guys that are discussing When they'll finally make it with money and how much money you need to have to be happy. He said once you have $20 million, like you can have everything unless you want to buy a jet or a yacht like Mm -hmm. you're set. But for me, I'm like, I'd burn through 20 million and like,
1: dude, I could spend 20 million before you could say 20 million. Like,
0: And I even think like 100 million is not a lot. Let me just pause it right there. He, He just said that he could spend 20 million before you can even say 20 million. What are these guys talking about? What are they spending twenty million dollars on? And he said that he could burn through a hundred million dollars. I think that there, I take it back. The market has gone too high. There needs to be a bear market. There needs to be some type of implosion. Everything I just said, I take it all back. We still have this going on in the market today.
1: Like i could burn through twenty million and like. Dude, I could spend 20 million before you could say 20 million. Like,
0: and I even think like 100 million is not a lot. How is 100 million not a lot? What does that even mean? 100 million is what? It's more than what the average American, which the average American is incredibly rich, has tons of luxuries. It's more than what they earn in 50 average lifetimes. 100 million dollars is a ton of money.
1: I know. Like, would you buy an 80 million dollar jet? Let's say you know you get to the point where you you buy a jet. Are you ever gonna stop like at what amount of money are you gonna be like okay i'm gonna chill out i'm gonna like retire like chill with my kids never like, never never no
0: all right they're ambitious i guess these kids look like they're like 17 years old and they're talking about growing up numbers and and talking about how they're never going to be satisfied when you get in the workforce and you actually earn a decent living you save up money there comes a time where you actually want to stop working, especially if you're not enjoying your job more than you enjoy leisure time. I've actually had this discussion with a friend a long time ago. We were discussing the amounts that we would feel pretty set in stone of, of feeling like we've made it, feeling like we have enough money to retire and do what we want. And the number that we came around to was around $4 million. That was it. $4 million was what we consider to be a, a decent point to achieve as a lifetime goal of saving and investing. Anything beyond that would be incredibly good, but $4 million is enough that you can, just with dividends, earn over $100,000 per year. Earning $100,000 per year passively is a very luxurious retirement. You can do a lot with that. You can travel, you can see the world, you don't need to buy a private jet, you can fly in a plane and wear some airpods, it's gonna work out fine doing it that way. So we have a bit of a disconnect here. My goal is more in the range of 4 million dollars, I think that's a pretty good amount of money. Hopefully I'll get there someday, I'll share it with you along the way if I ever do. But saying that 100 million dollars is not a lot of money is completely insane. Once again, TikTok has done it with the unexpected financial advice. That's the episode for today. I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you in the next one.